When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello! I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, the show where we help you through the midlife, the menopause, motherhood, and everything in between. Today, we're going to be talking about why society doesn't want to talk about the menopause, a taboo we're working hard to change with this very podcast, in fact. Our special guest is TV presenter Louise Minchin, who spearheaded the BBC's Menopause Week last year, filming her own experience of whether or not to go on HRT. Louise joined us just before she headed off to Namibia to take part in the gruelling sport relief desert adventure, so she talks about that too. Later in the episode, we're going to be sharing our trials and tribulations as four of our six children prepare for their GCSEs and A-levels in the coming months. But first, though, Trish, I found some old photographs of myself. (laughs) And actually, I thought I was going to be horrified because Mm. I remember having my picture taken at the time I was on holiday and thinking, oh, I've got terrible skin, I've got lots of spots, I haven't been able to brush my hair. I looked amazing. I know. I was 22 in Greece. I was just thinking, why didn't I at the time think... This is great. I'm having the time of my you life. You were gorgeous. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yes. In my, it didn't, it was yes. no context. It was just brilliant. It's really lovely to look. And But I should have thought about it at the time. I think well, we're just so critical of ourselves in, yes. in photos, aren't we? And um, I've got a friend, actually, we just went to her 50th birthday party. And I, I sent her what I thought was a really lovely picture that I took on the night at Sober at the time, obviously, before the wine had kicked in. And, um, and she just... She texts back going, oh, I look really fat. And I was like, no, you don't. You look no, gorgeous. Funny, isn't so it? just, we can't kind of see the niceness. And I agree yeah. with you about looking at old photos because I, I kind of had the same thing apart from the only downer is some of the dreadful haircuts. Oh, yes. The perm, yeah. the permed bob. I think anyone who is over 45 has had a perm. Oh, yeah. I think it was yeah. an 80s rite of passage. It was. Mm. I had one where the front of my fringe fell off. It just broke <laughs> It off just burned off. It was very cheaply done. the smell done. of the perming solution? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I also did a really stupid thing. I've dyed my hair many colours, but I had it cut about nine years ago, ten years ago, and I had it dyed black. I mean, I am a, I I'm a natural that. blonde, so it was a bit, it was, oh. it was kind of pulp... Fiction, oh. Uma Thurman, black, had it cut into a bob and it was horrible. I looked mm. absolutely awful. I found those pictures the other day. So it took two years <laughs> to grow it out. To get rid of that. You not have had it very long. No, I, I, I was that. after six weeks, I was you just, just went, in such a yeah. downward funk about oh, the whole God. thing. Had to but go. I, I do think physical photos are just, you know, obviously they're not a thing anymore, but they're so brilliant. We actually got um, um, my in-laws brought round these old photo albums the other day with um, all of their parents' childhood. So we've got literally like 
great granny Dora sitting in a chair what? in 1920 Brilliant. with her sister Maud, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And the kids loved it. They really, really loved going through well, the albums and trying though, to find out who was who. When you were little. Mm. So my granny and granddad, we never went abroad ever, mm. ever, ever, ever. And then they, I can't remember, they won some money or something happened and they went to Cyprus. Oh. But they drove because they didn't want drove to Drove to Cyprus. <laughs> a very oh, long no drive. But when they got back, they they had a side slideshow. Oh, yes, slides. And it was such a big thing that they'd oh. been abroad and we all had to go. We all, it was like yeah. it was it was like a massive major event. Mm. We had to sit, look through this slideshow of Granny in a deck chair. I mean, she oh. could have been on Brighton Beach. It was oh, kind of bless. But what was really brilliant is I even I remember now where she how she used to tie her little headscarves in her hair and all the little things that she was wearing, the little trainers that she oh. wore. And I just remember it really set mm. in my memory. I must have been really young. But we watched the slideshow. Can you imagine having a slideshow? I know. Well, it, it was always that thing, wasn't it, where you were like, "Oh God, so they're going to bring out the you know the holiday photos." You'd get them back from Snappy Snaps, and then you'd have to sit <laughs> through and look at look at them doing all their different things you in Tenerife. Do, you do that, though, well, don't I do. You? Well, you're I organized. do. Uh, well, I'm not organised. I make my husband. He says, "What do you want for Christmas?" I'm like, "Well, you know what I want for Christmas. I want a book." And the other of thing the- I want, Neil. <laughs> I want a book of photos of the year. So it's like the most arduous and actual sort of task of love. He is he a photographer. I know, but he's the busman's holiday, not interested when oh, he's when he's shame. off the job, as it were. But he does put a lot of time and effort into doing one of those. You know, you mm. just can do them online. So at least I do have a physical book with like random photos of the year, which I just love. I just think there's it's something f- about that tangible, not yeah. just on a on a phone. It's thing. very bonding, isn't mm. it? That kind of thing. I know that a lot of family therapists who work with families who are going through trauma or tragedy or have recovered from some event will ask them over a month to keep uh, a photo diary and then it will all be combined and then you'll sit down as a family and look through the diary and talk about it and it's very it's very good for people emotion it's very good Mm. on on bringing families Mm. together giving them something to talk about and actually focusing on the really great things that have happened in a month when they may have gone through something really terrible, but there will be mm. moments that bring you up. So mm. I think everyone should do that. Yeah. Keep a little and photo. Especially with your kids. They love it. They, they do love, love, it. It. Yeah. love it. What they like, Trish, is pictures of them in the bath on the wall. <laughs> So that when their friends come round, <laughs> we've just been asked to change all the fit yeah, photos so in the downstairs loo. We've been asked to take it down. Little babies, gorgeous babies, sad sweet, moments, sweet little things. So now we're going to talk to Louise. Hi, Louise. Thank you very much for coming on to Postcards from Midlife. Now, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about was this talking about the menopause, perimenopause, talking about it out loud. You were really brave. You you went to work and talked about it. And then you actually decided to tell the whole nation about it. You made the BBC talk <laughs> about it. So it was really brilliant. But there's a lot of women who find it very, very difficult to talk about it. It's still one of those subjects that is a little bit taboo. And I've noticed sometimes men tend to sort of frown a little bit when I say <laughs> menopause as well. Mm, so how mm. did you start? Um, the, reason, so the reason it started was um i mean i've been going through this i'm trying to i can't even quite put a finger on it but i'm only 51 now i say only um i think it must have started when i was about sort of 45 46 
Um, and we'll talk about, you know, the, the way it started, but the, the talking about it happened because at work, obviously, sitting on a sofa under hot lights for three and a quarter hours as a perimenopausal woman has different challenges. <laughs> it mostly was about keeping the studio ice cold. And, you know, that that's not comfortable, obviously, for other people, but, you know, absolute necessity for me. So eventually I said, I just, I just kind of literally had to put my hand up and said, look, you know, there is a reason why I need the studio ice cold. And it's not because I'm being fussy. It's just that I'm perimenopausal and nobody needs to see the result of what's going to happen if the, if the studio is not cold. Not to put too fine a point on it. And so I kind of put my hand up at work and I kind of didn't sort of really, um, I just suddenly knew that I had to do that because, you know, otherwise it was going to just be kind of get increasingly difficult for me. Um, so I told my boss and bosses and actually they were um, very, very supportive. Um, I think quite surprised possibly, um, but very supportive um, about about it. And then, so so I kind of already opened up the conversation at work, um, and then and then what happened was we kept doing stories um, about menopause, and I kept every time there was a story, we just got an enormous response from people on Twitter or whatever it was, a huge response, and I just thought, you know, if I need, you know, I felt very kind of uneducated about it. Um, if there's this huge response, we should really do something, you know, really start talking about it. And I talked to them over about a year, actually, about, you know, can we do can we do something with menopause? Can we do something with menopause? And the time wasn't right. Anyway, but quite brilliantly, um, they, they, they decided when they decided to do it, they kind of like decided to go all in and do this massive um, thing across the week. But again, you know, that was only going to work if I basically sat down and <laughs> admitted. And it sounds like it shouldn't be an admission, should it? Uh, so you wouldn't think it would be that hard or, or that much of a taboo. But it definitely did feel a bit like I was kind of like walking over the edge of a cliff. And so I definitely felt really nervous about doing it. But I kind of realised that the only way for it to really work and to be, you know, really kind of open up the conversation was if I could be honest about it. So I did it with sort of trepidation in my heart, but I knew that it was kind of the was going to be a, a definitely a conversation starter. And had you talked, um, Louise, to your family about it, your children, your husband, before you did it? Oh my, my goodness, yes. Everything everything goes through the family. <laughs> everything goes through the family, and they, you know, they they they're pretty honest about it, the couple of years beforehand because you know there had been points when I had really been struggling with stuff, and so menopause was you know, and, and was was definitely a, a very kind of fluid conversation already in our family. Um, and, you know, we'll come on to it, but the ways I deal with it, but, you know, my family would, you know, if I was feeling particularly, if I was being particularly naggy or stressed, it'd be like, mommy, why don't you go for a run? Anyway, so no, it was already very much a conversation that we had been having in our family. So to take it sort of to the nation was just an extension of that conversation, actually. And were there moments when you were embarrassed? Because I get, I don't know about you, Trish, as, as well, I get a bit embarrassed when I say... I'm beyond caring. I'm just like, I'll say it anywhere. I'll say it to anybody because I think it's that important that it becomes a normalised part of conversation. It does have a stigma, doesn't it? And it's it's interesting. Yeah, I think yes. both ends of the sort of female reproductive system have yes. a stigma. Yeah. You know, go, go, young girls are uncomfortable talking about periods. Society doesn't really want us talking about periods. And we also don't really want us talking about menopause. But we are trying to change that, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. And what you're doing yeah, at the yeah. BBC is, is trying to change that. What, um, what kind of response did the BBC... I'm oh, assuming it was goodness. hugely it positive. Was response oh, through all the content was, um, that you it did was, it was very um surprising um inspiring kind of overwhelming um 
you know, people just, I think because I, I, I the way I, I, I mean, I didn't really, it was very, I did the film, the actual film that went out on the BBC at a point when I wasn't on HRT. So I did it when I was, you know, HRT is really good for me. And I know there are, you know, people have different points of view about it, but I couldn't, I, so I felt, um, you know, very vulnerable, uh, not myself, not happy in my own skin. So I could, so I, I, I couldn't film that film anymore because I feel great because I'm back on the HRT. So I think that that kind of opened, I sort of said things that people hadn't heard articulated before and that I don't feel myself. A lot of women won't be able to relate to that. So they responded. And then what was, you know, there were so many responses from women going, gosh, I didn't know this. Gosh, I didn't know that this explained how I felt and that this is what it is. And then the, another overwhelming response was from, from husbands, from uh, children, from families just going, thank goodness you've actually explained, you know, this thing that we've been going through and none of us understood why or that it was completely normal or, you know, there were things that you could do about it. So, I mean, it was an incredible response we had and I still have people getting in touch or phoning me up and even really, really good friends. Um, so, yeah, it was it was overwhelming and really, you know, I just felt so relieved to, you know, in some way, you know, made it easier for people. And how do you feel now? Because you went through the the bad times, you, you're, you're on HRT, you do a phenomenal amount of exercise, you are a kind of iron woman triathlete guru blasting your way across the world, swimming and running and cycling. How do, you, how do you feel physically and mentally now? I feel, you know, at the moment, strong, I feel. It sounds really strange to this say, say this in some ways, but I sort of think that menopause is my superpower in some ways. Because when, I'm, when, th- when days are good, they're really good and I feel strong and I feel confident and all those things that perhaps you don't feel when you're feeling perimenopausal or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and the exercise is definitely um, something that, that helps me on a kind of daily basis. Uh, but also I think that helps with just, again, feeling fit, feeling strong, feeling making me much more able to cope with just everyday life, you know, just having a job, having a family, having two dogs that need walking, you know, all that stuff. It's very helpful for me. Were you, were you always a sporty, Louise? I mean, I think you started <laughs> doing triathlons in uh, 2012, is that right? With something to do with the Olympics? Yeah. I mean, looking back now, it's very strange because the um, the start of my triathlons and the start of, you know, perimenopause were pro- probably exactly around the same time. So I don't know what I would be like as a triathlete if I didn't have this other thing going on as well. I might be, I might have been really good or not, but I don't know. I just don't know the answer. So, um, yeah, no, I've not been, I, I was really sporty at school. I loved sport. I particularly loved swimming. I loved racing. And then um, about 15, 16 I got to that really unfortunate stage where um, I, I was really muscly, shoulder muscles from the swimming, and I just literally one day looked in the mirror and just thought, mm, I don't like those muscles. I think they look... And I, one day to the next, one day to the next, gave up swimming because I didn't like my, my muscles. And now, of course, you know, X million years later, I'm just like, yes, I've got muscles on my shoulders, and that's great. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't sporty. I had a big, a big gap. I mean, I went to the gym maybe a couple of times a week, but I, ne- I didn't do any racing. I didn't do any like long runs. I just kind of, you know, did a bit of yoga, um, occasionally went swimming and then a, and maybe some cycling classes, but that was it. This comes up a lot, I think, with women. We, we can't all be triathletes, obviously. No, <laughs> um, no, but not no. everyone needs need to, to be. You don't need to be. But ha- that sometimes in the perimenopausal years, it's like walking through mm. treacle and you just can't oh, imagine yeah. putting your shoes on and going for a run. You, you don't want to be seen in a 
class. You can't go to a spin class. You just, I remember feeling incredibly tearful all of the time. How, what would your advice be to women to just take that first step to kind of, because it does make you feel much better exercise. I can totally relate to that, um, that anxiousness and feeling tearful. And what I would say, and there's lots of things I would say, is that, you know, there is never, apart from when I've fallen over, there's never been a swim, a bike or a run that I felt worse after. Do you sort of mean? So I kind of like, I'm very um, kind of goals based. And you can tell that by, I imagine, you know, by the sort of races that I've done, you know, goals are a really good thing for me. But they're sort of what I call micro goals. So, you know, like today, in fact, I'm not going to go out today um, for various different reasons. But, you know, like when it's raining outside and it's really cold, I think, oh, gosh, that's so miserable. And I'll put, honestly, I'll put it off and I'll put it off. But I go because I know that at some point on that run, I'm going to think, yeah, what? It's absolutely brilliant to be alive. There might be hail, there might be wind, but I'm out in it. <laughs> so, so the other thing you have to do is be on telly a lot, which is yeah, its yeah, own this is a, pressure. This is <laughs> so you have to look a certain way, you have to be a certain way. Do you feel, as you've got older, that that's pressure at all? I kind of feel that because I have to go and do lots of things as well through my work and I'm predominantly involved in fashion so people always look at me and think what the hell is she oh, wearing she's supposed to know about <laughs> fashion so do you feel that pressure as you get older because that I found during the perimenopause that really played into my confidence thinking that I looked different I couldn't quite fit into things mm. it wasn't the right I, I it was really difficult for me to get rid of that pressure um I think maybe I was lucky because I as I say you know the the exercise started at the same time so without knowing it you know I was kind of looking after myself in a way that I really did probably need to not from not really from the kind of the way I look but just from a physical point of view because you know um so I think I was kind of it was like happenstance and and lucky and actually you know I am much fitter now by sort of by mistake than I was six years ago I mean, my poor makeup, the makeup artists at home, I've got them trained like triathletes now. Because, now. <laughs> I mean, if you could see me now, honestly, I look in absolute shambles. I haven't brushed my hair. If it's the day when I'm not going into the telly, I, I wouldn't even put mascara on. So I've trained them like triathletes. So it's in transition. They've got, they used to have 45 minutes and they've got 25. And, 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 and you know, I'm like, can you please find a TV presenter somewhere underneath that shaggy mop of hair? Um, and they do. So there's there's probably more pressure on them than there is on me. <laughs> and you, um, it was it kind of made the headlines earlier this year when you decided to come off social media. That was quite a big deal, wasn't it? And I just was wondering, um, other than being sort of sucked into this world and it taking up too much of your time, it takes were there up any, all my time. Takes up all your time. Were, were you receiving comments that were sort of upsetting to you? Whether anything was there anything sort of ageist or, or sexist in there? So I wouldn't say that they were um, particularly either ageist or sexist. I just found the whole tone of stuff um, toxic. And it's really interesting because I went came off in sort of mid-November, essentially. What I found, and, and you know, I spoke to, I'm going to name drop here terribly, Billie Eilish today. What strikes me about my personal thing and, and speaking to people, you know, big megastars is there can be, a, you know, not for me a thousand comments, but for, for her, you know, Lots and lots of comments, and it's the one hurtful one that you remember, that you focus on, and, and you just, I personally cannot edit those or not be hurt by them. My children say to me, you know, they just don't understand. They're like, why are you on a forum where people are sending you nasty messages? Why would you Why would you be on that? Teenagers control well, it quite well. They're quite... Really? So, so people always assume that, oh, the teenagers are, you know, they're, 
they don't know how to handle it. I, personally, I think, you know, they, they've been brought up with it and actually kind of have a bit of a better perspective on it. And having been off now for, you know, nearly three months or so. So first of all, I stopped tweeting. Um, but it's private, I tell you what, it's a, it's a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things that we have found is that lots of women have contacted us to say... I finally know what's wrong with me. I was yeah, going to resign yeah. from my job. I've been awful. To, I was going to leave my husband. Is that something that happened when you did the campaign? I've met I've met people since, like you will do exactly. I met someone the other day who had resigned from their job because they had felt all those things of ang- anxiousness and not feeling up to it and that kind of constant doubt and and not feeling capable of doing a job which you are perfectly capable of doing or work are perfectly capable of doing. So, you know, I've had so many people get in touch and. And what was what was the really striking thing for me was there's the 34 kind of known symptoms, aren't there, of menopause? And there's probably many more than that. Um, but what, what, what I was in, what I was struck by was was I went through those symptoms, and when I was feeling at my lowest, I, I had like 25, and it was all those ridiculous things like tinnitus and a heart palpitation. I had an ECG, feeling so tight chested, my heart's going at a million miles an hour. Not when I was running, just when I was doing walking or just being normal. So going back to the list and going back to all the things you were saying about thinking that you were going mad and things, I just think what I would urge people to do is go and look at the 34 symptoms, you know, and once you get past 10, you know, you're right in the zone. I mean, that's not in any way scientific, by the way. So I play menopause bingo with my friends. So I'm like, right, what have you got? And, you know, and, you know, that's what you've got to do. You've got to have conversations. You've got to go and look. And then there might be something that's going on with you and you go, oh, gosh, that's actually making a whole lot of sense. And I just think for families, it's really important because it can explain to them why mum is not being mum at the moment. Now, can I ask you, uh, this is my personal fascination. How on earth do you get up really early (laughs) to your job? Because normally if I have to get up early and I do have to do it now and again, I I then want to come back home and have a giant (laughs) cup of tea, some biscuits, a bit of a lie down. How do you structure your day? Because you've got to put training in. Just um, take me through that. So, yeah, I wake up at, at the moment. I change it all the time. At the moment, I think this morning was 3.45. It is the middle of the night and it's invariably dark. There's about two weeks or three weeks in the summer when it's not dark when I wake up. The other thing that uh, on a kind of really ridiculous sort of personal level is that we talk to, like you, I interview people all the time and we talk about, you know, sleep experts. And somebody said to me, so what time would you wake up normally if you weren't doing the programme? I'm like, mm, 9.15, <laughs> which is when the programme finishes. Then he said, oh, dear. He goes, oh, dear. You're struggling against biology. I'm like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> Thank you. So the the thing that I've learned about it, because otherwise, you know, my, my, my daughter's at eight, well, one's at university now and one's 15, so she, she's still at home. Uh, so I have, I, I mean, I can, I can only survive by having a big sleep in the day. So I go to work, um, come back, I have a, and then I go, I'm quite disciplined about it. You have to be incredibly disciplined, which is not really me. Um, but I sleep for an hour and a half because that's what the sleep expert told me, don't do more. <laughs> then it's time for bed. When do you do the running and the swimming and the the gymming and the? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, so um, again, sort of early on in the job, I I realised so so I would sort of come home and then have a sleep and then by the time I got w- awake from my sleep, it'd be time to do the school run and and it would be dark. So I kind of realised I wasn't seeing any light, it just genuinely out in the light. It sounds silly, but so I then started. Um, before I even did triathlon, started like doing exercise in the morning when I get back from work. I get back from work about 11 or something. So go out then, you know, whether it's taking the dogs out for a walk or it's going for a swim, try and pack a bit of exercise into my life as a kind of, you know, for me, it's all like, you know, that's that, that's important from, from a health point of view. It's important from a kind of de-stressing point of view. 
Um, but actually, I now know that I really prefer doing exercise in the evening. So thank goodness it's just beginning to get lighter now. So I'll, you know, sort of six, seven in the evening, I like to go out for a run or, you know, in the, in the summer, of course, um, I go out, I go more to swimming in the evenings and obviously in a safe place in the, where there are lifeguards. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so it's, it's kind of part, it's very much part of my lifestyle. And I'm sure, 100% sure that it really helps, um, particularly coping with the hours as well. Because when, I'm, when I go to bed, you know, I'm also, because I've done exercise, I'm also physically tired as well. So I can go to sleep. Do you have to eat a very healthy diet? Because I think the, my diet oh. has changed over the menopausal years. I've become much healthier. Well, I've eaten a lot more fruit and vegetables, which I just wasn't bothering with before. <laughs> but, but, and less yeah. alcohol. I and alcohol, well, like I, I just, can't I can't be doing it anymore. We can't handle it no. anymore. It just uh, mm. it's sweating and hideousness happens in the night and you yeah. wake up anxious and the upset. Night come back. You're about to do this amazing challenge for sport relief. Um, so we were going to go to um, Mongolia to um, do a, an ice triathlon. You can imagine why I did sign up with the word triathlon in it. Um, in minus 30 and because of the ongoing situation with coronavirus and uncertainty we are now going from minus 30 to plus 30 and we're going to Ibiza Namibia Namibia <laughs> oh gosh amazing amazing so is that changing your um, training then is it well I haven't got any time to train I'm going in uh three days so I've learned how to I've learned how to ice skate I've bought all I've oh my gosh I bought these brilliant socks which which have got heat, heated socks, which were fantastic. And yep, I'm going, honestly, I'll, I'll send you, they're brilliant. They've changed, they've changed my walks, they're fantastic. Um, and yeah, so we're going to the desert and we're doing 100 miles um, in the desert and we're sleeping in tents on, in the desert at night. Uh, we're going to be on fat bikes. I say fat bikes, they've got really fat tyres, um, sort of cycling up sand dunes then walking up sand dunes and then apparently they might even try us skiing down sand dunes. Sounds Gosh. like great fun. <laughs> what's, what's the insect situation in the desert? Apparently scorpions. So you need to check your shoes before you put them on. And then you, and because it's, I mean, can you imagine, so we'll be, run, well, we won't be running, we'll be walking in sand. And if you ever, you know, walked across a beach in sand, it's just draining. And we're, so we're doing pretty much about um, marathon distance every day for four days. Fingers crossed, we make it. The scorpion does not bite me and I don't need to ice skate. I think you'll be, I think you'll win. <laughs> Oh, the winning, the winning will all of us be making it. There's seven of us. Oh, so we're going to be wishing well, you I... lots and lots of luck. And um, <laughs> you'll we'll be, be mad. We'll love you. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Right, so Lorraine, we're both at that stage in the year. It's a yes. bit of a first for me. We've got two children each about to hit exams. I've got my twins doing their GCSEs and you've got a GCSE and an A-level yep. student in the house. Yes. How's that going for you? Stressful. Oh. Stressful. I don't know whether I'm going to pass or not. Are they stressed? Are they you? You're oh, the one who's okay. stressed. Them? Uh, it is stressful because I just, I can see their pain of having to do such a giant amount of revision and just that relentlessness of it. They're either looking at back on past papers revising for new papers, looking at the timetable of what's coming up next and then looking at the actual GCSE. They look, sound very, very organised, your two. One of them is organised. The other one is probably more emotional mm -hmm. and less organised about it. I mean, I just look at her room and think, how can you mm. even... Yes, not a, how can you have a clear mind when all yes. that's going on? <laughs> yeah, me too, exactly. But they do have different approaches, don't they? And they have to kind all of find... Do. The, the approach that works for them in terms of how they revise and also uh, their kind of coping strategies because it is stressful. And my sister's actually a teacher, so I, she's very good on all of this. You'd be a good teacher. Do you Tish. think I would? Yeah. Well, maybe that's my second career. I don't yeah. know whether I can work I'll that hard. I'll just do what you say. Okay. <laughs> but she, she sort of talks because I said, do you think, should I be kind of, you know, revising with them? Should I be? And she sort of says, well, you really need to work out whether your child responds well. Because some children yeah. do want that input. And some just see no. it as interference and they kind of really resent it. I think the other thing, I mean, the point your sister makes as well is is the do not compare them to mm. each other. That that way lies. You, you think, oh, well, they're both doing a maths and one of them spent five hours doing this and the mm. other one appears to be on Fortnite playing. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> they're but having actually, their, their little break. It's, they're break. doing it. They do it and you, you can't say, but last year. So we could compare... GCSE results from last year to the GCSEs happening mm. now. And I've just not mentioned yeah. last year. The yeah. advice is always never compare them. No. What else did your teacher well, sister say? My teacher sister said that, um, she, interesting about rewarding revision, she's not, she said absolutely not, unless it's kind of, you know, don't give them money for doing revision or things like that. Because she just thinks, well, they should be aware by this point in their life that they are School doing this. them aware for their own good and to have, especially with GCSEs, to kind of have as many choices as they can in life, which is what I'm trying to reiterate without putting too much stress onto my guys um, about it. Um, mm. You know, you've had one that's already been through it. Well, it would be quite exciting for us because we, uh, no one in the family's been to university. So we will have our first person at university Amazing. if she gets her grades. So mm -hmm. I try not to mention, because obviously I left school at 16 with no qualifications. Again, I try not to make that part of the conversation. There's a very good book um, called We Need to Talk, A Straight Talking Guide to Raising Resilient Teens by Ian Williamson, who is a psychoanalyst with adolescents. And he says you really do need to focus on the effort that they're putting mm. in, not their achievement or potential achievement. He notes that adolescents have a kind of strategy where if they don't think about something it might go away because oh, yeah. they're very in the moment so you might be constantly thinking exams 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 they might be able to switch off better than mm -hmm. than you you thought mm -hmm. and I think if it does go wrong um you know there are always options yes yeah. it's never a disaster you know I think it's about you know stepping up for your child at that point isn't it and just yeah. seeing what what you can do to kind of help them um but if they have to retake they have to retake 
not and the end of the world. You need to do a few anxiety leaving fresh air after six hours of looking mm. at physics homework. Oh god, yeah. Is is always quite good. So I suggested we make a cake on Saturday with one of mine because she just looked like she was just so tired. She just looked so mm. tired and that took a bit of a time and then we had to go and get the ingredients. I mean, it was weird. It was like having this child back again while yeah. she was doing these Aww. this big, really complicated stuff. But it just, I think it just switched her brain into a different... And sleep is so important mm. for them. Really don't wake them up in the mornings at the weekends when they're revising. Let them sleep. Yeah, they need, they need the sleep. Sleep. Sleep is good. Right, so Lorraine, we have got to that bit in the show where you are going to tell me what's changed your life this week, what you've been trying and what your nostalgia noodling thing Well, is. Trish, so this week, DNIP. Oh, DNIP has what changed my life. What the hell is DNIP? Do nothing in particular. Okay. DNIP. I read it in a book somewhere, I think. Um, where of the weekend where you fill your days mm. and they accidentally get filled. With four children, they get filled because we're driving them all over the place, picking them up, getting things, sorting stuff out. And then I had like a brief moment where there was nothing happening and I thought, oh, I, oh that's good. I can get on with the hand washing. And then I mm. thought, do you know what? I'll denip. Oh, good. I will do nothing, nothing. in particular. And what, what was that? Just sit on the sofa? <laughs> I just sort of sat on the sofa and watched oh. a bit of telly, oh, read nice. a couple of pages of my book. Yeah. You know, it's quite nice to just do nothing. We used to have, what, what when they were little, we used to have DIY Sunday afternoons mm. where they would say, what's happening now? What's happening? It's my own fault creating this need to do something all the time. And I said, well, nothing is happening. It's it's yours. You DIY Sunday you can do whatever you like. You can go anywhere. So for three hours, they would DIY oh, themselves. So this nice. is my new version of that. Um, what I'm trying is some stretching, Trish, <laughs> because um, I did a TRX God knows why. Well, I did a TRX that's the thing class. with all those straps yeah. that you hold on yeah. to. And, it's very yeah, nearby weird. and there was an offer on. Then the next morning I just could not oh, move. Seized up. Seized up. Um, and having asked experts about this, it's because I just didn't stretch anything out. Mm. for. 20, so I've been doing a bit of stretching of the morning. Uh, that's quite useful. You feel a bit better. Um, and my nostalgia noodling is the new mockumentary Spandau Ballet. Oh! <gasps> Gary and oh Martin Kemp, my. God love Goodness. them. Goodness, God love them both. Um, are making a mockumentary. Do you remember the Bros one? Oh, Which I loved it. Was a but real that wasn't a mockumentary. <laughs> it was a real one. But it was hysterical because mm. they took themselves so seriously. So I think that the Kemp's, who are very lovable, have gone oh. into this with a very. But one of them, sixty, you know. <gasps> no. Yeah. Stop oh, it. Hot. Favorite Spandau song. Uh, gold. No. True. No. True. true. Okay. That's my favorite. I one. quite like. Um, to cut a long story short. <laughs> Wasn't that the first one? Might have been, I yes, think it well, was. Yeah. I don't know mm. as much about them as I do kick mm. real, but, you know. Mm. Now, what's changed your world this Well, week? mine's a bit bit like yours with the old stretching. What's my what's changed my world this week? It's not been able to walk very well. Oh, true. <laughs> I, I did my hip flex, my right hip flexor in by... Um, I've been working in an office this week, which I haven't done for a little while now, and I was sort of sitting on a chair. Normally, when I worked in an offices in the past, for most of my life, I've had a special magic chair that you can adjust <laughs> everything, and I had it all 
set to exactly all my sort of aches and pains for so my back, my hips. In a normal I was chair. sitting in a normal chair, sat in a normal chair for about eight hours working away. And then I had to go to an evening class. And so another two hours of sitting in a chair. And I could hardly walk by the end of it. I basically, my hip flexor, it's a bit like you. Oh, I've ha- been having to having to stretch. Have you been lying down to... while Neil's been pulling your leg up? Yeah, <laughs> a bit like that. Um, what I'm trying is nail oil. What's Do you that? use it? Well, it's mainly for my cuticles. You think I would know by now, but I've just got really dry, awful cuticles. So this manicure you've got to put nail oil on every night. So I've been trying that and it <laughs> it does work. So doing it in bed, but it's sort of making <laughs> spilling it all over the sheets and things. A bit bit oily. Well I, I had um a manicure the other day. Mm. I don't know, I found time for that. And she she <laughs> afterwards she massaged my hand and she went old dry hands <laughs> I think it was lost in translation I don't think she meant to say old dry hands but yes look at this old oh dry my goodness hands. yes my nostalgia mine's kind of music related as well in that um this charming man by the Smiths. oh see um, I I just don't put you down as a I was a Smiths Ranger do you want to know what that is does it involve a uniform <laughs> It sounds like it. Is this why you're a vegetarian, I used to go and see the Smiths when they were... Well, I was about 17 because I lived in London, I could go and see them and uh, saw them all the time. And at one particular gig, it was brilliant, <laughs> at the ICA um, where there was a stage invasion and I was one of the stage <gasps> invaders. <laughs> Smith's Ranger. And we were described in the NME as Smith's Rangers. Oh, Trish, I love you a little bit more. I know, yeah. I know. it's good, yeah. isn't it? My good. little well stark secret past. But anyway, my nostalgia noodling moment was we were, this, you know, this charming man came on the radio and my son was singing along to it. And so I told him my little story about how when that song came out, I remember going into our price in Harrow, buying <laughs> the 12-inch, going into school. I was in uh, doing A-levels at the time, going to the six-form common room, which when you opened the door was a fug of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> everybody was smoking. It was absolutely hideous. And I was a bit of a sort of shy, quiet, wouldn't, you know, ever want to draw attention to myself. But I thought, right, today's the day. And I went up to the record player and put my 12-inch disc on and went oh, and sat down. Man it was my alive. most brave moment That's ever. the you who you were yesterday that you exactly. were talking about once. Yes, yes. comparing yeah. myself. So it was quite, it's a bit of a, you can tell it's a bit of a milestone moment in my whoop, life because I still remain, remain very... Um, inspired by that little moment and this charming man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Postcards from Midlife. If you enjoyed the show, please do rate and review us on your app where you download the podcast and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.